Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Malakian, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. Good to be here. So as you can see from the title of the podcast, we have a special guest on this week, Bruno Campanon, the America's head of custody and clearing services for BMP Paribas Security Services, spoke with me for about 30 minutes. Uh, the basis of the conversation was that BNP Paribas has been uh, an approved custodian for CME clearing for U.S. Treasury and federal agency securities. And then the conversation kind of evolved into just overall the custody space. Um, it, we, we talked about blockchain. We talked about a lot of different things. Uh, and also, Bruno is just a really interesting guy. He worked for NASA. He worked for IBM. Um, at one point, he literally blows Dan's mind. Like he couldn't, he couldn't handle the information that he was being given. At one point, put me in a pretzel, to say the least. So that's going to be the majority of the podcast today. Um, so for once, you'll hear someone that actually knows what they're talking about, as opposed to just Anthony and I. BSing it's a special our way. treat to our listeners. Special treat. You know, every once in a while, we like to give them something. Uh, but and then on the back end, Anthony and I are going to talk a little bit about the MLB playoffs, since those are kicking off or have already kicked off uh, by the time you're listening to this. But before we get into that, uh, we have an event, a U.S.-based event, coming up next week. Yeah, I guess a little house uh, cleaning here first uh, before we get into the good stuff. Uh, next week, uh, October 13th at the New York Marriott Marquis in lovely Midtown, quote-unquote lovely, um, we have the Buy Side Technology North American Summit, um, really one of our bigger events of the entire year. Uh, we have just a ton of uh, different CIOs and CTOs, and just uh, we have a CDO from J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Um, uh, you know, uh, Lonergan Harrington from Fidelity is going to be giving a keynote on uh, in taking um, certain aspects of uh, you know sites like Amazon and pl- places like that and integrating it into the capital into capital markets technology, um, and then our C level panel. Uh, bunch of really high level interesting um buy side firms throughout the whole day we, ha- we have a regulator toward the end of the day so it's, it's definitely a worthwhile event if you're an end user uh it's free for you to attend you can email myself uh, anthony.malakian at incisivemedia.com and i can send you information on how to register on that um if you want to get in and be a sponsor I can direct you to the right people that can help you uh, answer any kind of questions on that end. Uh, So that's on the 13th. Also, another reminder, um, the submissions for the American Financial Technology Awards, which are now, I think I'm probably going to get this number wrong, but I think it's like 16 end-user categories and 11 uh, vendor categories. Uh, Final submission date for that will be October 14th, so the end of next week. And uh, also, before we get into... Um, the the conversation you had. Um, I just want to say that today, for the first time ever, I tried a Starbucks pumpkin spice latte, and that is disgusting. I have no idea how anybody can like. I like pumpkin beers, like you know, I, like I, I've I've actually brewed a couple. Um, Southern Tears Pumpkin, New Holland's Ichabod Ale, Elysian's The Great Pumpkin. These are some great great beers by themselves, um, but even as pumpkin beers. I don't have any understanding as to how anybody could ever drink a pumpkin spice latte. It's just nothing but sugar and fat. 
Yeah, Anthony was very excited. He came in, said today's the day. It was he was all ready. He was like a new kid going to school for the first. And day. also, just because I hate going to Starbucks so much, and because the whole oh we have a venti, not a small, medium, or large. It's a small, medium, large, and that really drives me nuts. It's why I don't go to Starbucks ever. So to He's kind of get around that, I I told uh, our reporter uh, Amelia. Uh, I said, listen, I'll buy you whatever you want. Here's $20. Just go and buy me a pumpkin spice latte because this is the year. Today is the day I'm going to try this. And it was a massive waste of my money. And uh, I just kind of feel like my whole week's been ruined. So that's where I'm at right now. How many, uh, approximate, how many listeners do you think we've lost that saw, oh, wow, someone from BNP Paribas going to talk about the new deal. I'm excited on here. How many do you think we've lost? Just that is why we you. put the timestamp at the bottom so people can just skip ahead of our ramblings. <laughs> so many people are like, wait, is this like a bait and switch thing? I came on here to hear about this news and this guy's talking about pumpkin spice latte. Um, if you want more of some great insight of non-fintech stuff, listen in on the back end uh, after Bruno's done. But first, Bruno Campanon, the America's head of custody and clearing services for BNP, BNP Paribas Security Services. All right, and I'm joined now by Bruno Campanon, the America's head of custody clearing services for BNP Paribas Security Services. Bruno, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Dan. So, Bruno, it's you know it's so nice how these things just always tend to work so perfectly together. I have here you on the podcast today, and also we have some big news uh, out of BMP uh, has been named a custodian for CME clearing, uh, specifically for U.S. Treasury and federal agency securities. So I wanted to talk to you specifically about this. I had I spoke to Claudine Gallagher, uh, your colleague. Um, the North America Regional Head of Security Services at BNP Paribas Security Services uh, back in May. And one thing she mentioned was the growth in the U.S., your North American presence. Obviously, this speaks largely to this, and this ties into this. Talk a little bit about what this means as for BNP's kind of 10-year plan of growing in the U.S., Yeah, thanks very much for that question. That is absolutely central to what we're doing here in the U.S. When you think about why we came here down five five years ago, pretty much, we came here because our international clients, in particular European clients, were willing to get us to help them in their growth on the market in the U.S. and in the Americas uh, more globally. So we came here to take care of their growth, help them having a partner on-site, uh, in order for them to grow the business and serve better their own client. And what you see five years down the road is that beyond those elements uh, of growth that we've had with the international clients, we start to get a lot of the, inter- uh, of the U.S. clients uh, knocking at our door and trying to find out what is it that we as a European player can offer differently from the U.S. players. And CME is a great example of the fact that we as a European player do have some differentiator uh, versus the local players here and the traditional players here in the US that make a difference, particularly from a service standpoint. So so we're now very happy to have this growth coming from the CME. We do have uh, other um, major US clients that are now knocking at the door on various services. So CME will be very much about the Fed instrument and us being a custodian on the Fed instrument. We do have partnerships that are growing now in the space of custody and collateral management. So we'll be handling collateral management plus custody and pledging 
for major US players. And the third element that we're developing and growing very rapidly, uh, as I'm speaking, will be a service that we call Margin Protect. And that service is on the back of the new regulation that started from the 1st of September, uh, on the back of the swap of the uncleared swap deals. And that allows us to provide services that are made of matching, of pledging, and collateral management uh, on the back of the broker to start with, and then the buy-side clients in the future. So we are now, again, growing from a service that was very much towards the international clients willing to develop in the U.S., now to the U.S. clients developing on their own markets or developing abroad. Because on the back of what I just said, we do have a whole set of services for those American clients that are willing to go throughout the world investing on assets, whether in Europe, which was our own market, but also now Asia, where we've grown for the past 10 years at a very rapi rapid pace as well. And now we are helping those American clients to grow their franchise, to grow their expertise on those markets. Sure. You, you touched on a lot of different things there, which we can kind of dive into now piece by piece. So I think to start, in terms of the CME clearing and kind of you talk about how being a differentiator and offering different things to, to U.S. clients. I know Claudine had mentioned when I spoke to her back in May that a big area that you guys were getting gaining traction in was with the mid-tier clients, how offering them a more high-touch experience, getting more involved with them. That's something that maybe you know, obviously, it's a crowded space with the top four kind of sitting up top, and maybe they kind of haven't been able to offer the same offering that you guys would be able to. Specifically, is that still the focus? Is that really your bread and butter? And, and where can you really differentiate yourself from the bigger players right now that are currently more maybe well-established in the U.S. in the space? So, yeah, definitely the mid-tier is the area where we want to develop because we have a say on that space, which is the service. How can you better the service for those guys? Those guys would be, you know, in a range of 1 to 20 billion, pretty much, of investment in the U.S. that you need to service. So they, are, they start to be quite big in assets, uh, but at the same time, those guys might not find today within the uh, legacy provider the kind of service that they're looking for, for them to grow further, or to go the next step. So we are positioning ourselves precisely to ensure that we can provide those guys with very bespoke services. And this, this will be, from now to the next five years, definitely the area where we'll concentrate. We want to go for bespoke uh, services that will help them grow and help them add value to their end clients. So let me take a few examples on this. That will be on the back of them growing in the U.S., we'll ensure that, for instance, we can make it much more seamless to access to the market. So when they want to invest, say they have, they take, um, for instance, a private bank, private bank willing to invest in the U.S. for their own clients, what we do for them is that we, we put in place what we call a broker-to-custody service, whereby we will automate from the execution down to the settlement, all the flow to make it completely transparent to the client. So the client just have to, to instruct once the broker, they send one order, and we take care of the entire rest. The interest of doing this is that it's simple. It requires much less infrastructure from a client perspective. 
And at the end of the day, from a reporting angle, we give them as many information as is required in as many formats uh, as required. So Swift could be one. You can go uh, also to some uh, uh, some internet tool that we uh, put at their disposition so that they can get information real time in any kind of, uh, of format. Uh, it's on the net. Uh, we can push information also on, on more um, PDA-like uh, solutions, uh, which help the clients to get the information real-time in a simple way and in a very fine-tuned manner. Mm-hmm. So, t- to that to that point, is there a plan to expand look because like you said where you can really offer the most is to those mid-tier clients is there a plan to expand beyond that or for the time being for the five-year focus like you said is that the main focus it it is the area of focus because we know that we have a lot to do in that space we know that that space might be slightly underserved and there is a lot we can do by bringing those added value services those reporting services and the feel that that from a service perspective, we serve them as our top tier clients, if you wish. This being said, it doesn't mean that we do not explore possibility to go with those top tier clients. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that, let's be honest, we are a French bank. Uh, if we arrive in the US and go to the biggest pension funds in the US, sure. they may tell us, guys... Thank you, but no thank you. Right. So we just have to be realistic. And before going to those guys, we need to prove. And we need to prove that there is a quality in the back of the service and that we can bring them additional value. And the best way for us to prove that is step by step to show that clients have confidence, have comfort in working with us from the small tier to the mid tier and then progressively to the first tier. So we just want to ensure that anytime we take a client, the experience of that client with us is always at the top. And I, I trust it, it might be good as well to, to mention, you know, that the Global Custodian published uh, the, the result of their um, Global Custodian survey um, earlier this, uh, this week. And, and that's the result are actually outstanding uh, as far as um, we're concerned because we'll be top-notch on each and every of the section uh, where where we uh, ask questions to our clients. Uh, so we appear as the best in class in all the category, and we have actually bettered our results in each and every category from last year. So this is particularly important for us because this is precisely the emphasis that we put on our service today. We want to ensure that in each and every area where we face our clients in particular, we are seen as the best in class. We do as much as we can to help them grow on that market. Sure. So build the resume, build your your prestige in the US and then and then kind of go from there. Absolutely. Okay. You you touched on this earlier before, but the the unclear swap margin rules uh, came into effect at the beginning of uh, last month of September and uh, talk a little about the new offering that you, that you guys have. Oh yes, absolutely. So on, on on this particular service, what we've seen is that the market is very adamant to offer solutions related to the securities collateral. And that's basically what the tri-party collateral managers are doing traditionally. What we are offering here is something that would be much more agile, whereby we obviously would have an offer on the, on the security side, but we want to extend that as well to the cash side. And 
you may know that when you put cash into collateral, you may have some negative impact on the capital requirement because this is cash. What we're doing is that we're putting in place some solutions that do automatic sweeping from that cash into money market instruments that are considered as securities, hence limiting the impact on the capital. That's the first thing. The second thing is that rather than going for some complex tripartite collateral management setup, what we do is that we go for a very lightweight custodian setup, whereby we do the matching of the, the, the uh, initial margin instruction from the client and its counterparty. So we organize the matching as would the tripartite agent. We then organize automatically the transfer from the cash down to the money market funds. And then we handle the pledge of the securities of those money market funds through just a simple custody contract. By doing this, we will simplify for the client and for its counterparty the entire process. And when we say simplifying, we mean reducing costs, reducing turnaround, and making the onboarding much easier. So this is something that we have in place that we uh, will put in place with major players here again in the U.S. market and that we will expand not only in the U.S. but in Europe and in Japan. So can you talk a little bit about how that maybe is different from what's currently being offered on the market or what are the biggest benefits that a client could gain from, from doing that? So the major thing is that it will allow clients to use cash as collateral on the back of those uh, swap deals. So first element. Second element is that by using that cash, they will not bear additional capital costs. Third element, this will be simplified for them because we don't need to put the entire tri-party collateral management in place. We go just for a very simple, straightforward custody agreement. So it's simple. It is intraday, of course, because everything can, will be managed intraday. It is uh, cost-efficient, and it is transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing, topic that's been talked about a lot in the custody space is the capital requirements. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of trends or uh, recently uh, the stuff that's been going on in the news? What's jumped out to you specifically? I think you have two elements that you need to monitor very closely, particularly you know, most of the global custodian and custodian are considered as the sci-fi bank, mm-hmm. um, S-I-F-I, which means that those banks may be subject to two rules. One, the global sci-fi, which may impose on them, depending on the size of their AUC, of the asset under custody, may impose uh, additional capital requirements. That's one element. And the second element is under Basel III, or Basel IV. Uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever number whatever, we're at. <laughs> whatever. Uh, is coming next, uh, that will impose on them additional burden uh, from a capital perspective. So they need to juggle a bit with those new regulations to ensure that they are at the right level and that any move that they're doing will not impose on on them additional capital burden. So it's it's very important for the custodian to look at those, the evolution of those two elements and ensure that it positions them at the level where they want to be. As a, how difficult is that as a custodian, that balancing act? It is, I wouldn't say it's difficult per se. I just would say that this is something a bit new mm-hmm. uh, because this was not the traditional area of focus 
for the custodian uh, in, in the past. Custodians were considered as non-particularly risky uh, element of sure. the banks, and hence were not supporting tremendous capital requirements. And hence, this may be a change, and I'm thinking here in particular of the CFI, uh, this may be a change in the future, and certainly the reason why you start to see some custodian reorganizing a bit the way they work or prioritizing a bit better uh, the, um, the the area in which they work. Right. How do you see this impact? Do you see custodian banks kind of changing completely the way they operate because of these regulations? No, I think that will not be that drastic. Uh, I think first, what the custodian banks are doing is that they are organizing themselves from a financial perspective to monitor this a bit more closely, mm-hmm. and they're checking exactly what the impact will be. And then on the back of it, some prioritization uh, may come. Sure. Switching gears a little bit. Everybody loves talking blockchain. Everybody looks loves talking artificial intelligence, machine learning. I know that there's a couple things that you guys have in the works. Or what? I should, let me rephrase that. What specifically in terms of the the blockchain and just you know obviously that's a big impact on clearing and just overall just the impact of the digitization of the space. How do you see that impacting the overall space and then specific to your firm? First thing is the first word I would use is that's great. <laughs> that is an opportunity. So we obviously this is something that might be disruptive to an extent, but the first element that we need to retain here is that this will be a positive change over our industry. So I think we're getting more and more convinced about this, and hence within BNP Paribas we are now investing much more uh, into that into that space. We have created a new digital lab which is Innovation and Digital Lab, which is now gathering more than 30 people that are exclusively working on those new initiatives. And the way we take it now is just the next step compared to what it was six months ago. And when you think about it, uh, maybe even, you know, at, at the same mic a year <laughs> ago, talking about blockchain, that was kind of a big question mark. Right. And when you look back and see how quickly things have changed and how quickly basically all the, the, the financial institution, but I would say the entire industry, is now talking about blockchain, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So in turn, back internally on what we're doing, we are now launching uh, through this uh, digital lab four elements in parallel. So one is very much about the process optimization. So it's what can the blockchain do into process optimization, into simplifying uh, the life of our users, um, and, and so on and so forth. Second element would be about improving the client's experience. So what can we do, thanks to the blockchain, or more generally new technology, uh, to better the experience of clients through web services um, or, or this, uh, this kind of element? Third point would be about creating new business model. When I say new business model, you do have, at the moment, a whole part of the industry that might be considered as not very well served, and those are the non-listed company. You know that a tremendous number of companies are needing some uh, investors or some, you know, some, some cash. They can get access to this through bonds, through private equities, or through listing very difficult to list. So what we're putting in place at the moment is a crowdfunding platform, which is completely um, blockchain enabled. And we do that with a company called Smart Angel in in Europe. And the purpose of this is to create a market 
for those companies that are just willing to get access to investors and can do that through the blockchain in a very easy, straightforward way. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a concrete element on which we're working. And the last point, which is also very important when you talk about digitalization, will be how can we improve the working environment? You cannot talk about doing blockchain, offering new technology uh, services to your client without saying what you're doing internally. What are you doing inside the company in order to make people, you know, live and breathe, if I may mm -hmm. say so, sure. the new technology on their day-to-day -day life. And hence, we're investing in a moment a lot of time and effort and money <laughs> uh, in order to put in place uh, within our walls a, a lot of, of those, um, you know, new digital processes uh, on a day-to-day basis. So a lot of different areas that you're definitely showing interest in with blockchain. You know, the, specifically, what do you think is the most ripe for disruption immediately in terms of, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of talk about the, the blockchain and distributed ledgers in general, but where do you think is the first area that can be disrupted and see real implementations uh, in terms of blockchain technology? I trust the most potential question mark, I wouldn't call it a risk per se, it's more a question mark, is about the role of each and every one in the new environment. Mm -hmm. Because that role might be slightly different. That role might be much more concentrated around add-on add services versus background tasks, if you wish. So mm -hmm. through the chain, through the blockchain, the big interest is that you give access um, in a very organized manner and very secured manner. You can give access to the same information to many different players. And this is why, for instance, uh, the regulators at the moment are quite keen to consider blockchain because they see that this is something that will allow them to have access very in a very simple manner mm -hmm. to everything that is happening. So I trust that's a very important point. But viewed from us as legacy player, it's more what is the role that we're going to play? in that space. And actually, this is a book that we have to write. It's not like anyone can raise the hand and say, I got the answer to this one. Right. No one's got the answer. What's important is where can we add value within that new ecosystem mm -hmm. to the end client? And that's the question that we all think about and that we all need to answer to. Yeah, it's, it still seems it's certainly in a discovery phase of figuring out the right use cases and, and where particularly it can it could fit in and have the biggest impact. Exactly. And, and I think one of the very interesting points on this is that it's, it kind of pushes all of us to talk more between the various players. So we talk with our peers, and you've seen the R3, you've seen the uh, digital old asset holdings, and you've seen quite a number of initiatives on the market where a lot of those of our competitors and friends are working together because we need to talk first. We need to understand. We need to exchange on this. As I said earlier on, uh, take a year, a year back, people didn't have a clue about what blockchain right. was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <coughs> uh, so before we wrap up, I want to talk quickly about your background because you have a, a very interesting background in terms of you spent time at NASA, you spent time at IBM working on... Uh, on um, the, uh, the the AS400, uh, which is kind of the early days of the, of the internet. And you also spent time at Chanel, which is interesting because my uh, co-host, Anthony Maliki, and his father 
is a data center guy, tech guy, you know, and spent most of his time in financial services, but also spent time at Avon. <laughs> so okay. the 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 um so it's interesting kind of the connect. It's like which one, which firm doesn't fit here? It's kind of two and and three. But so experiences at three very different but very interesting firms before coming to to BMP. Talk about how that maybe has impacted or how they've helped uh, you kind of going forward in your role now. Uh, Yeah, so it's true that sometimes those dots are kind of remote. Yeah. Let's let's, um, put a bit of a a context uh, behind it. So first, NASA, I was lucky enough to to end up with... with, um, Master of Science uh, in Florida at the Florida Tech, uh, which is a university that is working a lot with NASA and with, uh, you know, Lockheed Aerospace and uh, all those space space company. And at the time, the NASA was working on the Lunar Mars project, Mm -hmm. uh, which aim was to send people on Mars. It's actually very timely because though NASA dropped that project, you have quite a number of other players, SpaceX, not to name them, uh, that, that are working on this. And and so at the time that was extremely interesting. I was I'm a mathematician by background, and I've been working in logistics and and all those kind of things. So I was working on this. Unfortunately, that was back in '91. '91 uh, was the Gulf War and the first uh, the first Iraqi War, and uh, and hence the the program was stopped uh, and um, went back to Europe. And coming back to Europe. The European space program were stopped at the same time, so I had to leave the space industry and moved on to the new industry of that time uh, that was picking up, and that was IT. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Back in 1991, you wouldn't even recognize what a PC was looking like. <laughs> uh, internet, though was it was existing in some people's mind, it was not something uh, that, that you could access to. So so I jumped into uh, into the space of the internet, uh, sorry, of the IT uh, to start with, and IBM offered me an opportunity to work on a project that we call at the time PMEE. That's French acronym, so I, I, I will uh, uh, spare you uh, what, what the, those <laughs> things means. But basically, that was uh, ideally a, a way to put the AS400 machines that you talked about earlier into a network to what was at the time, you know, kind of similar to the internet. That was not an internet, but that was a way to get 20, 20,000 plus machines across France at the time um, connected together in order to share some services. So that was kind of, um, uh, you know, an early stage for this kind of, uh, this kind of internet mm-hmm. or distributed services. And that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. And then working into those things, I was quite keen to go further on new technology and work on the, at the time, the new technology, believe me, uh, or not, uh, that was Power Builder or this kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and hence, um, I started to work. So at Chanel first, that was to try to push the automation on the back of the distribution of Chanel. Chanel is a huge company when you think about it. And sure. they distribute on a worldwide basis. So at the time, one of the difficulty was to ensure that they had the capacity to handle that distribution in a very automated way. So mm-hmm. that was the purpose. Uh, the purpose of this, and that was uh, that was quite uh, quite fun in its own right. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you more story about this. <laughs> Probably not on that mic. Uh, and and uh, then after that, I had the opportunity to work again on the new technology with Paribas. Bank Paribas at the time was uh, the, you know the biggest um, investment bank in France, 
That was prior to the merger with BNP. And the interest of this is that they were investing uh, at the time a lot on those new technology uh, that I was talking about. So I was very much interested in putting that into motion. Uh, so I, I did work for a few years there, just before BNP um, and, and Paribas merged, mm -hmm. uh, which gave me an extraordinary opportunity to work on the, a complete reengineering program. Uh, that was a 150 million kind of program wow. so of, of euros. So that was quite, kind of big, mm -hmm. a big program to reengineer completely the custody and clearing systems across the globe right. uh, for, for BNP Paribas. That was extremely interesting at the time and very visionary because that was the right time to do that investment. We were at the time where that was back in 2000. 2000 was great years for the industry of custody. At the time, that was, you know, kind of rocket, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, ro rocket um, growth. And that so, so it allowed us to invest massively. That was in the new technology at the time, the new technology were Java. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest European project in Java that was launched uh, wow. at, at the time. Um, and I started to do some offshoring. So that was the beginning of offshoring as well. So that was quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so that led yeah, to 2008 or something like this. And then after that, I started creating the network of custody and clearing for BNP Paribas in Asia. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was in Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, India, uh, New Zealand. And uh, and so that was a move or shift toward the business uh, from the IT, which was actually quite natural. Uh, it, it, it came quite, quite quickly. And it's so much of a plus being a technician oh, when sure. you arrive in the business because you're structured. Right. So you arrive in a space where people have excellent ideas they are very quick they are uh, clever you know communicators etc but the thing is is that sometimes they may lack structure so you arrive with that structure in mind mm -hmm. so that fits very well right and and that bridging the gap the thousand year war between technology and business exactly <laughs> that well, was fun well we're, we're gonna wrap up here but before i let you go i do have to ask one question uh, you might not even be able to talk about it. i don't know depending on what papers you signed at nasa but is there extraterrestrial life what what is your what is your opinion? Are there aliens out there or what? Where do you as a as an expert? Where do you fall on this? So I'm, I'm not sure I'm an expert on the aliens, <laughs> but uh, more so than me. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered I was an alien in in the U.S. Actually, they call me alien. <laughs> uh, but anyway, is there life outside uh, of of what we know being Earth? My take is yes, there probably is. Uh, but it's probably not in the form that we have in mind. So it's not like, you know, it's not a uh, little green uh, man with the. It's not this kind of thing. But what, what we see is that it, uh, on other planets, you do have gas, you do have water, you do have conditions for a form of life sure. that could exist. So, so, yes, there is another form of life probably out there. Um, now, will we see that, you and I? Yeah. Not sure. Because that will take a bit, a bit more time. What we'll probably see um, in the coming 10, 15 years is certainly someone walking in, on Mars. That would be, that would be fantastic. I, I always think, look at it this way. You know, you talk about the gases and, and whatnot and the, what, it, what can hold and, and maintain life. I always think of it as why the, what we consider the basic necessities of life is that going to uphold somewhere you know, why does that necessarily have to uphold for another universe? Or couldn't there be forms of life that don't necessarily need what we necessarily think is required for life? 
I would answer very simply to that. Would we consider that life then? That's that's a, that's why you went to NASA and I didn't go work at NASA. <laughs> that just put my brain in a pretzel. So I think we'll end on that note. Bruno, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was fantastic to hear more um, about the news. But once again, Bruno, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much, Dan. All right, so Anthony and I are back now. And uh, like I said up top, we're just going to briefly touch on uh, a little bit of the MLB playoffs. We're recording this on a Wednesday which is makes things difficult because we don't know whether my Mets have won their one-game playoff against the Giants uh, to have the right to probably They're lose not gonna against win, the Cubs. So let's just put it that way. Because so confident. Why? Consider Look at some numbers here. Oh, boy. Here we Madison go. Madison Bumgarner. 5-0 and in six starts with a 1.8 ERA against the Mets at City in four starts. It's 4-0 with a 0.62 ERA. And just in the playoffs, he's seven and three in the postseason with a two point one four ERA, and that God, that was just uh, the one blip was uh, one bad game basically had in two thousand twelve. So yeah, no, the Mets aren't going to win. So let's just have this conversation as though the Giants already won. My counter to that is that Madison Bumgarner dated a girl named Madison Bumgarner. Is that true? That's true. That's an interesting stat right there. That's a dagger. That, that's, that's a, a much dagger. Be- that's a much better stat than what I just gave you. Uh, all kidding aside, though, yeah. First of all, two things, and this is going to be a bit. Wait, of a they're rant. not related. They were How not is related. How possible? He you live in the same neighborhood. I don't know if this was high school, college, post college, but he dated someone named Madison Bumgarner. Also, I will say this: my father dated a girl with the last name De Francesco. That was not related to him, but just the sheer. Like, I always made fun of him. I said, just sheerly by the fact that it shares the same name as you, even if you're not related, it's just weird and gross, and it's not my mother. So, it's like my last name, Malakian. Now, my grandfather, when he came uh, to the States through um, San Francisco, I always thought he came through Elson, it's actually San Francisco, Um, he changed his name from Onesian to Malakian. So, I still wouldn't date anybody who's named Malakian. You know, even though it's right, they're not my going to be related to me. But just imagine you have a kid, and then they ask, "Oh, what's your mother's maiden name?" And it's the same name as your last name. It's just I mean, it's like one thing if it's like O'Brien or Smith or something like that. Okay, I can get around. We've gone people. far off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> this is my point. Um, first of all, he's not going against a dud. All right, Thor. Right, Noah yeah. Syndergaard is a stud. Is a potential. Um, Cy Young candidate. He's he's a beast. The guy is a a, a monster, right? He throws 125 miles an hour, okay? Mm-hmm. Also, the Mets went against Clayton Kershaw last year. How'd that work out? Clayton's okay. not the a Mets good postseason went against, The Mets went against Jake Arrieta. Oh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, uh, Jake Arrieta of the Cubs. How'd that work not out that for Jake Arrieta? Yep. Okay, so all these guys, untouchable guys. I'm not saying that it's a that – I'm not guaranteeing a Mets win by no means. I'm, I'm guaranteeing the Giants win. Okay. You want to you want to wager something on it maybe? Make it friendly? $20. $20? $20. Okay. Well, I can't say no now cuz now we're on the air. So it's got, so I got to go. So 20 20 Oh man, that's uh, all right. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> What's done is done. Just walked you right into that. Man, really set me up for that. I'd like better. Do I get better odds at least? Nope. Nope. Oh, we well, just we're not going to offer better odds. It's a playoff game. It's a one game playoff game. No odds. Yeah, but you're if you're so I'm confident. I'm saying it's guaranteed $20. You agreed to it already. All right. Well, uh, what's you follow baseball a lot more than I do, and I know your beloved Astros are not in it. But uh, yeah. what do you say to um, 
the playoff picture, we have the Dodgers facing the Nationals on the other side of the uh, the NL. And then on the AL, we have the Red Sox Indians and then the Blue Jays uh, that just beat the Orioles last night or on Tuesday night. They're facing the Rangers. How do you see this whole thing shaking out? I think that it's a shame that uh, Washington has suffered so many injuries. I mean, obviously the Mets have two. It's impressive that the Mets even made it to the postseason considering all their injuries. But uh, with Washington, a showdown, you know, with Strasburg and everybody in the lineup, that would have been much better series, I think. Um, I like – if I had to go with it, assuming that uh, San Francisco wins, I like uh, Chicago uh, and San Francisco to face off in the NLCS um, with uh, San Francisco advancing. And in the ALCS, I like Boston over Toronto, so you can kind of just go backward from there. And uh, I like San Francisco to win the World Series. I think that now that they're in it, they're insanely tough. That, that pitching staff is insanely tough to beat. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that the most interesting matchup is going to be, I don't know. Chicago just, you want to kind of root for them. And a lot of people I, I talk to, they're like, yeah, I want to root for the Chicago Cubs. They're, that team just becomes so obnoxious. It's kind of like Boston when, you know, there's like – Boston Red Sox fans just became so obnoxious when, you know, they're like, oh, we haven't won in so long. We deserve to win. Shut up. I don't give a crap. I, I honestly, I'm rooting against Chicago. I think that that's my main takeaway for yeah, this. But there is Actually, the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers are the devil to anybody, any Houston Astro fan. So, to a proper Texan like you. To a proper Texan <laughs> like me. How dare they call oh. themselves... Texas. I understand what you're saying and the whole, like, you know, Boston fans in general have just become insufferable over the past 10 years with the success they've had. And, you know, a lot of people... They were insufferable before that, too. Even, like, when, oh, we didn't win, but we're so lovable because we didn't win. And then you have... Chicago gets their own like little documentaries and stuff like that about Well, you Shout talk out. about I mean the kind of the pink hat mentality, like the pink hat reds. That was kind of the whole thing is how before the World Series there were never pink Red Sox hats, and then all of a sudden the Red Sox win. Now there are these pink Red Sox hats and these people that don't really care about. And I'm not saying that specifically to women. I'm just saying that there's that's kind of the to all use. the guys that are wearing the pink hat. Reds. No, but that uses there are these <laughs> these fake fans, and you see so many people coming out of the woodwork now all of a sudden. I think there's something to be said, and there are a lot of a lot of Cubs fans that have come out of the woodwork certainly over the past two years. But I think there's something to be said for kind of the lovable losers of Chicago um, and the fact that they haven't had success. But that town, it's a little bit different just because the the hockey team has been phenomenal. The basketball team, although it's been over a decade now, was phenomenal. Um, you know, so the baseball team won a World Series against sadly the Houston Astros. Who the the White Sox? Oh yeah, well nobody counts that. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't matter. That, that it's like the Mets. Exactly. exactly. It's 100% like the Mets. Yeah, if the Mets won or Jets won a, a Super Bowl or a World Series, the city would not react the same way that they reacted when the Giants won the World Series or if the Yankees. I Fair mean, enough. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, I just think the, the most interesting matchup here is if, and, you know, this is, I guess, how they feel, although, you know, the Red Sox didn't finish that well this year. If the Red Sox and Cubs can play each other in the World Series, my God, I mean, that's a Theo, that's Theo Epstein's World Series because basically I th I forget the exact stat but yeah. essentially uh, eight of the nine I think starters um, or whatever however where he, I guess seven position of the eight players, yeah, yeah. position players are guys that Theo Epstein brought in brought in and then mm -hmm. this Cubs team has been entirely built built by Theo Epstein so you essentially have two teams that this wonder kid has produced. Yeah. 
uh, you know, and the potential too to break another curse. You know, he he already ends the one of the biggest curses in MLB history and sports history, and then he'd be able to do another one. I I think that would just that's be incredible. the one where you, it has nothing to do with. I, so I can't stand the Cubs fans, you know, stuff like that. Theo Epstein, that angle of it, that's just like you can imagine thirty for thirty documentary sure. already around him. You sure, know, that would be you know impressive to see him break those two curses. You know, to have the same guy do it. So I guess yeah, you know that that's something I'll be rooting for, and I like the manager of the Cubs too. So you know, I mean, but no, their fans are just get over yourselves. I'm a Nationals <laughs> fan. We haven't won a World Series either. None of you guys were alive in 1908. So calm the hell down. What the hell do you care? It's been oh, it's been a hundred some odd years. Who gives a crap? You weren't alive. You're 30, 40 years old. Shut up. Wow, a lot of vitriol. A lot of vitriol coming yeah. out. Um. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I hope the Dodgers lose. I hope the Nats lose. Uh. You know, obviously, I want the Mets to win, but if the Mets can't win, I think it'd be cool to see the Cubs win. Are you one of those teams, though? See, I'm a fan of whoever beats my team. Like, so many people, no. know they, they hate the team that beats them. I'd rather lose to the team that wins, that goes on and wins the championship. I don't like that whole, like, oh, well, technically, then we're third place or whatever because we lost the team that means you nothing. You could even to argue me. your second place. It, it means it means nothing. I think what, what, so the two times the Jets. The two times the Jets made it to the AFC Championship, one time they lost to Pittsburgh and one time they lost to Indianapolis. I think when they lost to Pittsburgh in 2009, I, th- I don't remember these. I th- the first, when they lost to Pittsburgh the second time, I think they won the Super Bowl. That was the James, James Harrison had like the 99-yard at the yeah, end of the half, yeah, right? Yeah. That was that year. Um, yeah, right, right for the half, yeah. Yeah, so they lost to that team in uh, in the AFC Championship. I wasn't like, oh, well, we're the third place. You know, yeah, we still fucking we still lost. <laughs> it still enough. sucked. Fair so, enough. you know, that's my my thought, at least. Um, anything else on the MLB playoffs? I think that, you know, we'll, the MLB playoffs last forever, so uh, we'll be talking about this potentially in November. So we have yeah, time. Exactly. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Before? Oh, one more thing I will say, and I should have said this on the front end because God knows who's still listening to this at this point. Probably but, no one. But, uh, you know, if you do come to BST North America, come up to, to Anthony and I. You know, we, we've put done this now for, for close to a year, for about nine months, ten months. And, you know, we get emails and whatnot and tweets. But it's nice to have interactions face-to-face with people that actually listen to the podcast. And tell us what you think. You know, tell us if you like it. More importantly, tell us if you don't like it. And I know that sounds like a joke. But if there's something that you don't like, if there's something you want to hear more of, then we can adapt and we can evolve and we can change. But we can't do that if we don't know. So if you're going to be at the event, please reach out come up to us you know tony's the guy with the beard well the growing back beard yeah. i'm the big ugly italian guy and uh yes. we can have a conversation about the podcast because i think it'd be great and we'd definitely be interested to hear what you have to say come up to dan if you have negative comments i have very thin skin and i'm liable to snap so <laughs> well that was thanks for really setting us that was one step forward <laughs> two steps back yeah come up to us yeah don't come up to us because i'm gonna snap nah. but uh only tell me good stuff anything anything uh, else you have to add anthony that's all i got well thanks so much for listening and uh tune back in next week 